The Columbus Dispatch series, Unmasked, looks at the connections between firefighters diagnosed with cancer and exposure to carcinogens released during and after a fire. As part of the series, we're presenting podcasts featuring firefighters and the people around them. In this podcast, Columbus firefighter Mark Rhine addresses an audience containing both professional firefighters and firefighter recruits on the campus of Central Ohio Technical College in Newark. Ryan has given hundreds of such speeches since he was diagnosed with melanoma five years ago. First of all, thanks Newark Fire for even bringing me in. It's uh, always a good opportunity to come to a new district, but for me it's great because I live here. So it's nice to know that I get to affect those guys that I live around. It's really nice that CTEC's here. Um, Ultimately, when I do this, you guys are the minds I'm after. Um, Because when we talk about this topic here, a simple class called Firefighters of Cancer, Uh, Nothing against the old heads, but ultimately we're making a culture change and that culture change begins with the new guys So you may think that you're going to be here and you really don't have an impact But the fact of the matter is is your impact will be far greater than any of the guys that are sitting up in front of you or behind you Because you have the ability to start and end a career the right way Um, So really what happened was a few years ago. I decided I was going to make a change, and I had a very good reason for this change. Um, Just a little background on me, I'm 35 years old, I'm married with five children between the ages of 17 and 5. I've been a firefighter and a paramedic at City of Columbus since 2006. Um, I'm no longer able to ride on a fire truck or function as a firefighter or as a paramedic. I still carry all those certificates, but I can't do that anymore. So I have a new job with City of Columbus. I am the executive assistant to the Columbus Firefighter Union Local 67 president. Um, super long title, very unnecessary, uh, basically has a few meanings. If the president needs something, I take care of it. I handle most of the HR, BWC, injury stuff for all 1,549 members of Columbus Fire. That's what I do. But it also affords me the opportunity to be here with you right now. Um, and that's initially why I was brought down there. It was all about cancer education. And the reason that they chose me is because of my own experience with cancer. Uh, September 11, 2012, um, I had a doctor's appointment that is kind of a long story and I'll try to give you the short end of it. My wife and I had been arguing back and forth for about a month, I'd say, a little more than a month. And it was all about a spot she noticed on my back. And every single day was a new argument. Every single day was a concern. She was nagging at me every single day. And every single day she would keep bugging me about it, bugging me about it, bugging me about it. And finally it got to the point that uh, none of my skills as a paramedic to, you know, sideswipe the conversation or put her on a different topic was working. And so I told her, I said, that's fine. If you want me to go to a doctor, I'll go to a doctor. Number one, I don't have a family doctor. For the guys that are on the department, you understand, my family doctor is my annual physical. And he always tells me I'm good, so why would I ever have a family doctor? I'm not worried about that. And number two, I'm not going to go looking for a doctor. So if you want me to go see a doctor, you're going to do the legwork. And that's how it really started. So September 11th, I walk into uh, <clears throat> Dr. Michael Holsinger's office in Pickerington for the first time, and I'm explaining to him what's going on, and we're walking down the hallway uh, back to the exam room, and I'm explaining to him the conversation between my wife and I. You know, she's a nurse. She thinks she knows everything. It's really no big deal. 30 years old, best shape of my life. I feel great. He's like, perfect. He's like, uh, when we get inside, take your shirt off. We'll take a look, and we'll get you out of here. I said, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. So we walk inside and I take my shirt off and he sees it. And his initial reaction is enough to just floor you. I knew right away, just from his face, something wasn't right. So then he excuses himself. And he comes back in and he's explaining what's going on. And he's telling me, he goes, look, I can't tell you severity, but I can tell you this. You have melanoma. I'm like, you're sure? He's like, I'm positive. I mean, knew right then and there. Now, the crazy part was it wasn't even the spot that my wife sent me in that had him most concerned. It was these four other little spots around that spot, the size of a tip of a pen. To an untrained eye, you'll never see it. And I've dealt with melanoma before. Not on me, but on other people. I knew some of the signs, some of the symptoms. I kind of understood a little bit of the gist. Not to what I know now, but enough to make me worry. So that began the process biopsies, more bad news. Within a couple weeks, I was in my first major surgery and they're removing four large chunks out of my back. I mean chunks, deep chunks. 
And the thing was, is the deep as they would go, the further down they would get into my skin, the more cancer they'd find, and the more cancer they'd find. It ended up being about a two and a half hour surgery. And when I came out, they actually had to inform my father and my wife, hey, we actually had to go a little further. We had to go into his lymph node system and pull some biopsies of his lymph nodes. We're worried the cancer had spread. We'll call you in a couple days and let you know what's going on. So here I am sitting at home, just fresh out of surgery, you know, dozens of staples holding my body together, and the phone rings, and it's my doctor. And she's like, I need you to come into the office. I'm like, no, it's okay, you can tell me on the phone, it's fine. She's like, no, I really need you to come see me in the office, Mark. So as we're driving into the James that day, um, my wife, obviously very emotional. See, we understand what that means. Guys who work on the street, we know how that process works. They have no problems giving you good news over the phone. Their problem is when they want to give you bad news. They don't like doing it over the phone. So as we're sitting in the James that day, the doctor comes in. She just looked at me and she said, we failed. The cancer's already spread. We need to do surgery again. Two more weeks go by. I'm in my second major surgery. They go underneath my right arm and they open me back up and they go and they take and remove all the lymph nodes. Now the lymph nodes themselves are quite small. The process in which it takes to get them is quite large. We're talking about losing the use of my right arm. Multiple pumps are hanging out of me. Every single day was a doctor's appointment. Every single day. Poking and prodding, test after test, doctors all getting in their little huddles and whispering, because they don't know. They're guessing at this point in time. They're trying to figure out what's the next step. And I'm just the experiment. Now see, the difference with them and I was they want to talk about cancer. My thought process is, what do we got to do here for me to get back to work? I don't care about the cancer thing. The cancer thing, that's your guys' job. My job is to get back to the street. Well, I'd lost use of my arm for almost three months. Really couldn't use it. It cut through everything. It's like I-270 in there with nerves and everything. It was horrible. But I started pushing myself. The PT doc would say, do this many, and I would double that. And she'd say, only do this every other day, and I would do it every other day. And I would work it harder and harder and harder. And then I would go and I'd try to work my magic. I'd try to coax them into green that I'm ready to go back to work. So eventually I did. Eventually I had my oncologist and I had my captain on the same, same side saying, look, if you want to come back to work, come back to work. There was one catch. My doc said, you can go back to work and I'll sign the paper saying you go back to work, but you're not getting out of treatment. And I said, well, what are my treatment options? She said immunity therapy, which immunity therapy is very similar to chemotherapy. It just uses your body to fight the cancer. I said, okay, no big deal. I said, how often? She's like, well, the first month it's high dose. It's every single day. She said, after that, there's injections every other day. She said, you can come down here and we'll do those for you. And I said, how about this? How about you give me the injections and I'll do it myself? And she said, you're going to inject yourself with immunity therapy. I said, why not? I said, I'm a paramedic. There's a lot of people who don't even know me. Let me stick needles in them. I can do this. Well, I'm here to tell you. The first time was super easy. It was two, four, five, six, seven afterwards that you knew that little vial was carrying some of the worst side effects I'd ever experienced. That's when it became tough. But it was worth it. It was worth it for me. I was back at the firehouse doing a job that I loved, and this is all it took. I can live through that. I can work that. Mentally, I was ready. Unfortunately, after about three months, four months, my body was telling my mind, look, you may be strong, but we're not. I ended up back in the hospital for a range of nine days. My internal organs started to be affected. My gallbladder was so infected that to do emergency surgery to rip it out. And it was while I was in the hospital um, that they realized the cancer they thought they had, they actually didn't. I had lost use of my left leg. I mean, I could feel it, but every time they wanted to move it, every time I had to move, it was excruciatingly painful. And after multiple scans, more tests, they found that there was now a tumor at the base of my spine. And that tumor had grown around the nerves that come through and control that left leg. And the more I used it, the angrier it got. And it ended up pinching off the connectivity of those nerves. And that was the issue. The doctors didn't even know if I would ever regain full use of that left leg. Now, fortunately for me, I gained a lot of use. Now, unfortunately, it'll never be the same. And you guys will notice, I'll salsa up here on this stage. I don't like to stand still in the same exact spot. I end up getting stiff and it just creates problems. But that whole experience in a nutshell, very long story compressed for you guys, so we don't have to sit here and fall asleep together, is why I'm in front of you. 
there's really only two criteria to be able to do a class like this. Number one, you better be a fireman because we speak the same language. And number two, you have to understand the world of cancer. And the only way to understand the world of cancer is have gone through it. My thing is my battle's not done. Melanoma is a uh, terminal cancer. There is no cure. Doctors gave me a 10% chance of making it five years. September 11th, this year will be my fifth year. I don't buy a lot into numbers. I'm on a mission. You guys are part of my mission. So I'm grateful to be here and to share that with you. This here is the fuel that keeps me going. This is a picture of my family. Uh, when I initially started doing this class, and I've traveled all over the state of Ohio teaching this class, hundreds of times, thousands of firemen, this was not originally in this presentation. And I realized very quickly that it had to become part of my presentation. The reason is why is because family is very, very important in the fire service. Now, some of you younger generation, I'm hoping you guys don't have families yet, but the older generation that's in here right now, we understand the value of family. And you will too by the end of even your C-Tech experience. Right now, you're creating some of the greatest bonds you will have in your life. You have members in your class that you will be friends with for the rest of your life. They will become your family. I have family members that are of no blood relation to me, but we would die for each other. We would sacrifice for each other. We would do anything for each other. And a lot of us get caught up into this world of firefighting and we think so much of it is cliche. Stuff we see on television, that is real life. It's not real life, but I will tell you what is real life. The little sayings, everybody goes home. We believe that. And if you're gonna continue your world into this world as a fire service, you will believe that. That's something you agree with. Whether you like them or don't like them, you will guarantee that they go home. Every man that works on the street in here understands and values that. That is real life. Motivation for change. My family and your family is your, going to be your reason to change. As we go down this presentation, we start hitting topics, and you start thinking about why would I do this? Why would I change who I am? I've got 30 years on. I've got 20 years on. I've got 15 years on. I've got habits that work. Well, let me tell you something. Your habits don't work. I'll be the first one to sit up here and tell you that. They don't work. Cancer is not a matter of maybe I get cancer. No, cancer is a matter of when. I'm going to show you the numbers today that prove that. Cancer is an epidemic in the fire service, 100%. Here in Ohio, we're just now starting to understand why and how. I will teach you that. Before you leave this room, you have a complete understanding of what you need to do to protect yourself and the facts that go with it. But the thing is, and the real, the key to this entire conversation is these people right here. Nobody in your life came up and begged you to be a firefighter. Nine times out of 10, it's something you dreamed of as a kid. It's what I always wanted to do. No one could have talked me out of it. But the fact of the matter is, is there are really, really, really deadly circumstances that have an effect on you, but a more effect on them. So if we don't commit to change, when you leave this room, if you don't commit to change, it's not going to be you that pays the ultimate sacrifice. It's going to be your family. And I want you to keep that in mind. This is a little history. I was assigned to Station 8, Engine 8, and Paramedic 8. Uh, old picture of me. It's no longer a truck. So I kind of use this picture now to pay tribute to that truck. It's the greatest truck, and they always think they got to replace old things. Why, why fix it if it ain't broke? Best truck ever. But uh, you know how it is. We got money to spend. We got to buy new things. I love my time at Station 8. We're located at Long and Champion in Columbus. Great running district. Uh, we were known as a training station. It was very important to our guys there that we uh, made sure we were constantly honing our skills and working. It was also a very busy station. The engine takes about 6,000 runs a year. Or I'm sorry, the medic takes about 6,000 runs a year. The engine takes a little over 4,000 runs a year. So great station to be at. Um, they are definitely my family. So I miss those guys a ton. When we start talking about the fire service and we start talking about the culture, um, it's always good to understand the history of the fire service and what is really going on. Even here in Newark, Ohio, you guys can really see the direct change. Even the young guys, you guys uh, may not understand the intricacies, I'm sorry, the details of building construction yet, but you guys can notice old versus new. You also can understand what re rehabbing does to a structure. And really today, building construction has done a complete 180. 
It absolutely has. We don't use building materials like we used to. I mean, you can go from foundation to move in ready in 110 days. 110 days. Now explain to me how you do that. I can tell you how you do that. It's all synthetic based. Your concrete has stuff inside of it to help it harden faster. The building materials are pressed together in some form of plastic. So they weather faster and they weather longer and then they can use it more readily. The insulation's changed. The woods are dipped into solvents that we don't even understand and chemicals we can't even pronounce. And the key to all that is, is we don't know what occurs when it burns. And the government, when they okay and approve this stuff, doesn't know what happens when it burns. They're only concerned with how long and how much. That's where their concern is. These are the things we need to worry about. Now, in the fire service, we're really good at our jobs, and a lot of guys in here can agree with this. We don't fight fire like we used to even 10 years ago. We don't see the same amount of fire. And a lot of that is because of us and our community outreach, and then also we learn from mistakes. So there's even residential homes now, especially like in areas like POW, that have suppression systems in them. Um, it's just unique, so obviously, therefore, you don't see fires like you used to. Unfortunately, the fact is this. We see fire less, but we actually spend more time in the hazard zone. Why is that? Well, it's fairly simple. Budget cuts. We have less guys arrive on the scene. We don't want to keep so many guys there because we need to keep them out in the running district. So the crews that are there are spending more time there from start to finish, therefore are being exposed longer. Now, as things change in the fire service, or as I like to say evolve, where we end up falling short is ourselves. We don't evolve with them. We're like, okay, so I'm gonna be there longer. That's no big deal. I'm strong, I'm in good shape, I can do that. What we're not realizing is I'm exposing myself twice as long. I'm engulfing myself in these chemicals and these carcinogens, but yet I'm still doing the same old things I used to do. I'm still going in without my mask. I'm still going in with maybe just a hood. I'm still going in with half my bunker gear after the fire's out. I'm still performing overhaul the way I used to. And we're not even realizing that we're actually killing ourselves very slowly. Those are some of the things we'll get to here in a little bit. Continuing on the, evol the evolution of the fire service, there is a history of cancer in the fire service. It's the world of the unspoken, things that we, we don't like to talk about. Firemen don't like to talk about things that could potentially hurt us or harm us. When a firefighter gets sick or ill, it's not uncommon that a lot of his even close friends start backing away. It's stuff that we fear. We don't like to know and see that visual of things that we fear. It's kind of how we're made up. But cancer was first recognized in the United States in 1967. And over a nine-year period, every state in the United States adopted presumptive law. Now, in that time, the only two cancers they were worried about were lung cancer and cardiac disease. Those were the only two types they were worried about. But every state over that nine-year period adopted these legislations, these laws. You guys were protected under those, okay? We have those here in Ohio. It's a great thing. It's awesome. It only took nine years. That's, that's a key point right there. Now, in 1982, California adopted the very first cancer presumptive bill, a bill that was covering other forms of cancer. They were starting to recognize we were having issues. Okay, another big deal because in 1990, Dr. Howe and Dr. Birch said, well, if we're starting to create these laws, what's really going on in the fire service? Why are these guys getting cancers? What cancers are they getting and at what rates? Nobody could understand or make sense of how this was happening. It was just something we really didn't know. Well, with their science and their technology in 1990, they did the first firefighter-specific medical study. And back then, they were able to link four cancers specifically to firefighting. And one of the number one cancers they found was skin cancer. Now, skin cancer has been something that nobody ever thought of in the fire service. We always assumed it was what we were inhaling. Later in a couple of these other slides, I'll tell you exactly why skin cancer has become so prevalent in the United States, but even more importantly here in Ohio. One of our biggest problems that we've battled in the fire service is the cardiac mantra. Everybody assumes that cardiac is the number one line of duty death in the fire service. A lot of guys, in here we can say, I was taught that. Cardiac, cardiac, cardiac. These are things we need to be worried about. But once again, as the fire service has evolved, so have we. We change our equipment. We change the way we function on the fire ground. A lot of us are staying healthier. We're eating healthier. We work out. We do things on the side. We don't just sit around and smoke cigars and drink beer and ramp all day. Those things are gone. We don't do that. So we're seeing a down, a, definitely a downward spiral of the cardiac issue. Now, unfortunately for us, 
it still goes to number one because it's recognized. Cancer is not recognized in a lot of departments or even states in the United States as a line of duty death. That is something that I'm trying to change because until we recognize it, guys, it doesn't matter in their world. And in their world, we're talking higher-ups, politicians, so on and so forth. Now, the biggest thing that we've done because of all this when I started this, uh, just recently here in January, we were able to pass Senate Bill 27. Um, it's a project that I worked with other people tirelessly over the last three years, which now provides all Ohio firefighters, volunteer, full-time, part-time, cancer presumptive coverage. So if you were to get cancer and you had service as a firefighter, you can now have a BWC claim and it can definitely affect the way you would pension out if you had to pension out. So we're very happy, I'm very even proud to tell you guys that that is now a benefit that is to you. But we'll touch base on that a little bit later too, some more details on that. Here are some of the numbers that really got me started and really uh, spiked my interest when this started. Uh, they're a little old, but these are the numbers that we began with. So I like to share these. These are the line of duty deaths right here done by the IAFF. Okay, this is nationwide, 2010, 11, and 12. You'll see that cancer line of duty deaths are twice as many in uh, 2010, nine more in 2011, almost twice as many in 2012 again. Now the real numbers, when you really where you see this spike and we start talking about building materials, construction change, the evolution of the fire service, this is where you see the major impact. From 93 to 03, that 10 years, you had 40 uh, cardiac line of duty deaths and 31 cancer line of duty deaths. Your very next 10 years, yes, your cardiac did triple, but your cancer deaths are almost 10 times the amount. A 10 year period has changed it that much. And I'm here to tell you, those numbers are still rising. And guys will say, well, what occurred? Guys, it's very simple. The baby boom, the cookie cutter, the neighborhood everywhere, everybody gets 0.2 of an acre, build it, build it, build it, build it fast, get everybody moved in. That's when that happened. NEC changed the code book. We started using materials we've never used before. A lot of things are all synthetic. Look at your home. Walk in your home. Your carpet's not wool carpet. It's just not. Your countertops, even wood structures that we go pay a lot of money for aren't all real wood. These are all synthetic forms. We are the world of Walmart. Everything's bigger, faster now. How can I get it now and how can I spend the least amount of money? Those things are all created by synthetic forms. This is what's inside and this is what's burning. Now the key to this right here is really that asterisk. Guys, all those deaths that you're looking at right there are prior to the age of 60. Now the young kids in here probably aren't gonna understand what 60 means. But in a firefighter's world, guys, 60 is a goal. We all know what 60 means. 60 means I did my time. I put in, maybe I stayed for the drop, got my retirement, wife and I have plans, grandkids and I have plans. It's time to turn the chapter. It's time to move on with the rest of my life. Go into that fourth unit, the retired unit. Live it up. Maybe you want to go live at Sturges for a couple months out of the year, at the beach or at your hunting camp, whatever it is. That's what 60 means. Guys, we're not making it to 60 anymore. That's just truth. There is no chapter turner. It's do your job and pray you walk away. If we don't make change, we're going to become one of the statistics. Absolutely. And I'll be up here battling cancer, talking about you, talking about me. But we've got to make change. There's a uh, short video, and there is no noise. Um, I show this to every class, and it really seals the deal. If you've seen it, I apologize. This is a great video, and it's actually, some of you guys may have seen it just for smoke study and all that good stuff, but what I want, to, want you to understand is legacy room versus a modern room, okay? Pre-1980, post-1980 materials. Same exact setup, same exact contents, minus what makes them. They both lit them in the same spot. They lit here under the pillow and they lit here under the pillow. And I use this because I want to show you and the guys who have experience, you'll look at this and you'll assume that there's some, some form of fuel fueling this and there's not. They simply lit it. And this is what we're dealing with. 
And this really sets home when we start talking about the synthetic makeup of these fires and understanding these chemicals that we don't understand and how they burn and how they form and what really occurs. So you're looking at it right away and you're like, oh, well, the legacy room's going up first. But look what's happening here. This fire, you're not, you can barely see it's a bad picture. But look how fast it begins to spread. And start watching your clock. We're, only, we're a minute in, no big deal. Some old lady walked in, she just called 911. Please come help me, my couch is on fire. We get excited. We're like, okay. Tell the driver, hey, you know, man, maybe, maybe pause at a red light. Let's hope we get a room of contents. Maybe that happens. But look again, still legacy rooms, still kind of contained. We're talking water can. We're going to walk in. We're going to be irritated that they didn't just throw a you know, stock pot worth of water on it and not call us. This one here is starting to make some movement. Look at that smoke. That's some dark smoke. Smoke is very important in our lives. Very important. And it's still going. That fire is pushing as if someone's just squirting it with something. There's nothing. There is no fuel to this. Just the product in the room. Two minutes in. What's the uh, normal response time in Newark Fire? Four to six minutes. Four to six minutes. Beautiful. You guys get it. 20, I mean, 21st Street's a nightmare. I can't imagine doing it in a big rig, trying to cruise down there. People, they don't know how to turn. They don't, they don't teach that anymore. Do they teach that in driver's ed to get over to the right? They do? Then why don't you guys listen? <laughs> Here we are, 2.30. You guys are halfway there, over halfway there. Look at that room. Now we're getting excited. Now we're getting excited. Look at the smoke that's coming out of this. This is our environment. Guys, here's the key. Most of America goes to work in a form of a environmentally controlled office. Even if it's a factory or whatever, you're in an environmentally controlled office. We don't. That's our office right there. That is your future office, young men and women. That is your office. You're gonna walk in, it's gonna be between the temperatures of 1300 and 1600 degrees Fahrenheit, and you're gonna to go to work. That's just the truth. 316, how are we battling that? We, we just run right in? Look at that sucker. If this door wasn't here, we'd really be in trouble. Look over here, legacy room. We're really ticked off at that lady because we were excited. And then that's what we get. And we're gonna have to carry that couch outside too because she don't want that in her home. Right here, guys, this is go to work time. We're worried about people upstairs, maybe people downstairs, exposures on left and right. How are we gonna fight it? Defensive, offensive. Hopefully you guys got there at the four minute mark. Four minutes, that's that room. That's modern material. That is your home and mine right now. Legacy, oh, they got the drapes, okay. That's really what occurs. That is what we are battling nowadays. That is how we get the numbers that we already discussed. That's why these numbers now are real. In the city of Columbus alone, currently right now out of 1,549 members, we have 126 guys battling a form of cancer. Now this is not just a Columbus thing, and I made sure uh, when I began this, I never wanted this to be a Columbus thing. But these are the numbers that were obviously very easy for me to get, readily available, and I could start basing my uh, information off of it. But this is a three-year study in the city of Columbus. During that three years, we averaged 1,551 employees. Uh, same three years, we averaged 108 known cases. That's one out of every 14 firefighters battling cancer. And in our world, that is one guy at every station on every unit and then some battling cancer. When I use the word epidemic, a lot of people always kind of like, oh, he's, he's being dramatic and he's exaggerating. Guys, I don't know any other definition of epidemic. It's pretty ridiculous, especially when we consider City of Columbus at the same time, same period, brought straight to you from Ohio Department of Health, they're only averaging one out of every 176. Yeah, I know what the definition of epidemic is. Cancer is killing firemen at rates that we've never understood before. And it's not just the big departments. Violet Township, I went to Violet Township a few years ago and uh, 
Chief Little heard me speak at a chief symposium, and he came up to me afterwards, and he's like, man, that was great information. I really appreciate it. I'd love for you to come talk to our guys. He's like, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, we really don't have a cancer issue in Violet. I was like, that's great. I'm like, that's awesome. Good for you guys. I was like, but do, do me the favor. I'm like, I want you to send out like an all-users email and just ask him, have you ever, if so, what kind, blah, 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 blah. He literally calls me, and I, I don't think he was crying, but he was definitely fighting back tears. And he's like, man, we have a problem. Their number's one out of every 5.3. He's like, I'm the chief of this fire department. I had no idea. Orange Township, Delaware, Ohio, one out of every eight. Cleveland, one out of every 10. Lancaster, one out of every 12. Guys, it doesn't matter. Full-time, part-time, volunteer, it doesn't matter. It is not how many fires you fight. Dr. Susan Shaw, she's from Massachusetts. Um, she really helped bring this point home. She decided she wanted to go out west and perform an experiment. She wanted to know, what is one exposure worth? So she went out there and she did some blood testing and some obviously pre-testing on a group of firemen. And she's taking blood, doing all these experiments with them. And eventually her goal was to catch them in the act, fighting a fire. So she did. After being out there for a while, they ended up catching a working fire. She showed up on the scene. These guys were wearing full gear SCBAs the entire time, entire time. When they were done, they came out. She drew blood right there on the scene, went off to the lab that she was renting. And what she found out was in that one exposure, one exposure, the levels of the carcinogens in their bloodstream are already three times the normal limit. One exposure. Through your gear, through SCBA, one exposure. That's real. So it doesn't matter if you've been on 20 years or if you caught a working fire your first day. You now need to be aware. You need to be aware of how your body's reacting. It is very, very real. When we start breaking down... Um, what to be aware of, it can get overwhelming. And the list of chemicals is never ending. So when we started putting this together, and I, uh, I definitely got, got together with some of my most trusted friends who are in the self-safety uh, occupational world. And this is what we came up with, our most wanted list. Number one is benzene. Number two is formaldehyde. Number three is soot. Number four is diesel exhaust fumes. And number five on our most wanted list is us. And I will beat this point into the ground before I leave here. We are our own problem. That's a fact. I don't care if Newark Fire comes up with the greatest SOGs or SOPs, uh, procedures for this. They give you guys all these awesome decon things. They give you guys all this great information. Bring me in so I can educate you and give you my story so we can connect. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Young men and women, it does not matter. When you leave here, and you walk out of those doors, you yourself will have to make a commitment to yourself. No one else is going to do it for you. They may write you up here or there. They might yell at you. A guy might really shame you, make you feel bad. But it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you have to make a decision. Do I want a long career? Do I want to be healthy? Does my family mean that much to me? And yes, I do mean it when I say that. Because what ticks me off is, is I didn't have an opportunity to make that decision. No one ever talked about this. No one ever told me that this could be possibly happen. I didn't have that option. So I'm going to sit up here on my soapbox and I'm going to tell you, you guys have an option. Make that choice. Because I promise you, if you make changes, you don't have to worry about any list of chemicals I put up here. We know what works. Other fire departments in the world have been doing the same things that I'm going to challenge you to do. And they had the same cancer rates as the state of Ohio. State of Ohio firefighters have two and a half times higher rate of cancer. Same places had the same rate. They started doing a few small things. And within a decade, their cancer rates fell to almost zero. We know what works. It's whether or not we're willing to do those steps. You can have a great job. Firefighting is the best job in the world. And there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. A little background on these chemicals, though, very quickly. Benzene is a top 20 most used chemical in the United States of America. Now, that's crazy when you consider they know for a fact it is a group one carcinogen, and yet it is so widely used. I'll tell you why it's so widely used. They don't know what happens when it burns. <laughs> they didn't go that far. They just know it's a great product, and it does a lot of good things for us. Fact of the matter is, guys, everybody in here knows Nomex. We use Nomex every day. 
The two chemicals that it takes to make Nomex are both direct derivatives of benzene. That's how closely linked we are to this chemical. It's everywhere. Nobody just understood the dangers of it when it started to combust. Okay? That's why when you guys start hearing about the trade your hood in, one-time use hoods, one-time use hoods is real. You use it, you're exposed, you put it in the dirty box. You don't wear it again until it's been properly washed and dried. That's real. You're minimizing exposures. It's used in almost all synthetics and plastics. It's invisible and odorless. You won't know anything about it. There is no happy beep beep thing you can buy on rescue.com. Understand this. If there's smoke, you have benzene in the environment. It's a group one carcinogen. It will kill you. Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde and benzene are uh, best friends. They go hand in hand. It's used in the process of making almost all plastics. We know how serious we take CO and cyanide. Cyanide, who did this one? Cyanide spelled wrong. I know how to spell cyanide. I didn't do that one. Um, wow. No detection device, no smell, it's invisible, okay? It is found in almost every smoke study that's been performed. Soot, everybody in here, even the, the recruits, if you haven't had a day like this before the end of the year, I'm sure you will. Soot is a part of the fire service. It absolutely is. It's as much part of what we do as the firefighter cross. It's everywhere. There's no way to get rid of it. We're not worried about that. What I need you to understand is this. It is a group one carcinogen. And its number one way of affecting you is absorption through the skin. That's its number one way. If you understand those two things, then you understand some of the changes we're making and soot will just become uh, something you don't have to worry about anymore. I hate diesel exhaust fumes. It keeps me up at night. This is something I dwell on a lot. Um, it is the world of the unknown, and I'll tell you why. It is a group one carcinogen. They know for a fact it causes cancer. The issue with diesel exhaust fumes is it's hard to get a real read of how much we're being affected by it, at what dose and how that works, because not, it's not even a department to department thing, it's actually a station to station thing. How many pieces of apparatus do you have? What kind of exhaust system do you have? How often do you train? How do you do your morning checks? All those things come into play when we start talking about the effect of diesel exhaust fumes. So it's very difficult to do a form of a study to know how you're being affected. The key to this is to understand it gets everywhere. They actually did a study down in Miami and they found, uh, they had this company come in and he took samples from all over their firehouse. And a lot of firehouses will keep ice makers or even extra refrigerators out in the bay. Well, they had like prepackaged cheese and stuff in there that hadn't been opened yet. Well, these guys took it and they took ice samples and took it back to the lab and they found diesel particulate in all of it. So the effect is unknown. We know that the effect is deadly. I just wish I could give you guys some better numbers. Just understand, this is definitely something you need to be aware of and take precautions of. So we talk about those chemicals. We talk about the evolution of the fire service. We talk about what we do. Let me make myself very clear. I'm not here to tell you how to fight fire. You guys do a really good job of that. That's not my job. But what I'm gonna tell you is, is how you're being affected when you're doing your job well. This right here is how it's happening. For every five degrees of body temperature rise, your skin absorption rate goes up 400%. Now have all you uh, cadets back there been in turnout gear? It gets hot real quick, doesn't it? Even if you're really not doing much or exerting much effort. Now picture wearing that gear inside a room like we just saw, 1600 degrees Fahrenheit, doing your job, pulling a big old heavy hose, how warm you're gonna get. Guys, five degrees, that's nothing, we know that. We're sweltering in there. And your absorption rate goes up 400%. Now the reason that's so important is, is because your gear is not a filtration unit. It's not designed to filter the environment. It's designed to shed heat and whisk away that moisture and create that barrier so we're not steaming ourselves. But it's allowing everything that's in our environment to come inside and have an effect on us. Remember the guys that were on the, the scene, full gear, SCBAs, it was in their bloodstream. That's how we're being affected. When we start talking about soot getting in through our skin, when we start talking about those chemicals being absorbed into our bodies, that's what's occurring. That's where the battle begins. One of the biggest issues we have in the fire service is this one right here, premature removal of PPE. This goes back to us being our own worst enemies. And we know we do it all the time. You roll up onto a scene, go inside, maybe it's just a room of contents, put it out, 
back everything outside, doff a bottle, maybe you ran out of the bottle, you got your mask off, grabbing a bottle of water, taking a quick break. Officer walks up to you and says, hey, let's get back inside, get the ceiling pulled, get this thing overhauled, whatever it is, get the crap out of there, whatever it is. You're like, yeah, okay, perfect, no problem. Depending on what the weather is, we may or may not put our jacket back on. Depending on how bad the ceiling's still putting off a little smoke and the floor smoldering, we may or may not put anything back on. We might walk back in with just our bunker pants on, our hood dangling around our neck with some tools and our gloves, and we'll put our helmet on, of course. We're worried about falling debris. And we'll go in and overhaul a home. That's just fact. We don't think about it. We're tough. We'll be in there working, and we'll start coughing because the ceiling's still putting off smoke. The floor's still smoldering. We're like, you know, quick fix, pull my hood up over my nose. Got it. No, we are, I mean, we, guys, we are our own worst enemies. This stuff doesn't work. That's not how this is done. We're given SCBAs. We have the ability to breathe good, good air. We have gear that can somewhat blockade anything and we don't want to wear it. It's heavy. Have you ever pulled a ceiling with a bottle on your back? It sucks. It sucks. It gets in the way. My mask is there, so I throw it around the back. We are our own worst enemies. We've got to stop doing this. We've got to stop doing this. Another big problem is cleaning. Guys, we like dirty gear. It fits better. It smells funny. It's cool. It's our brand. It's got to end. I don't care if you have a third-party company that does your cleaning. I don't care if you have a cleaning device at your station. I don't care if you're lukewarm water and mild detergent. I don't care. Clean your gear after every exposure. It's that simple. Hoods, the one-time use deal. Make a box, good hoods, bad hoods. I don't care if Johnny wore that one last time or if that's Billy's, I don't care. We're too old to play these games. You put the dirty one in the dirty box and you grab a clean hood and you walk away. It's that simple. These things work. They have a major effect on your life. They have a major effect on your family's life. That's a fact. That is an absolute fact. These are simple things that we can do without even thinking about it. Helmets, how many guys in here have the burned up helmet? I do. It was the coolest thing ever. When I came out of the academy, I could not wait. I was so long waiting for a fire, I almost did the whole blowtorch thing just so I could look semi-cool. Almost did it. Guys, I had a gentleman sit through this class almost three years ago, and he came up to me afterwards and he said, I've had 12 cancerous spots removed from my forehead. I said, really? He goes, my doctor never understood it. He goes, I had no idea why until I just sat through your class. 19 years on the fire department, I've never one, climb, never one time cleaned my helmet. He's gonna, have, he's gonna have skin cancer for the rest of his life. Hopefully they can contain it. Got it from his hood, got it from his helmet. 19 years wearing that helmet. Guys, this stuff happens. We constantly, constantly are having an effect on ourselves and we don't think about these simple things, big issues. Cleaning out truck cabs. Guys, we know what we drag into the truck cabs. We know we worry about the outside and how beautiful the truck is. Make sure we take time after an exposure to clean out this truck cab. And it's what I call buddy clean. It's not just your truck. It's not just your truck. We have to think of firefighting as exposures. We go to a fire scene, we do our job. We jump back in the truck, you put the bottle in, you take the harness off, there's burn insulation and drywall and crap everywhere. You're sitting in the seat, you're covered in it. Chances are you have your bunker pants on still. If not, you pull them down to your boots and you're sitting there in your, your sweaty bottoms. Well, guess what? Tomorrow at 0800 is, or whenever it is you guys start duty. That's not your buddy's spot. He's gonna jump in that same spot. He's gonna go through that same entire harness, that bottle, that, that regulator, hook it up to his mask. He's gonna check everything. Good for him, he started his morning out with an exposure report. It's that simple. It's that simple. He just started his day out with an exposure. Get this stuff out, wipe it down, clean it off. Take care of each other, wipe off the seats. I don't care if they're leather, pleather, or fabric. Wipe them down. Clean these things up. See, what happens is, is over time, as firefighters, we have a lot of little exposures over and over and over and over and over. And then next thing you know, you got 25 years on. And all those little exposures are one big, huge exposure. 
and you're sitting there going, how did this happen? I'll tell you how it happened. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. It's that simple. It's that simple. One of the biggest changes that we're making in the state of Ohio and the thing that I press everywhere is personal hygiene. And I'm not talking about the stinky, you need to wear deodorant kind of personal hygiene. One of the biggest changes that was made in the cancer world overseas when they first noticed this, because they were way ahead of us, they were 20 years earlier, when they were seeing these cancer rates, is they started saying, what can we do? And they invented the personal decon. And it's a super simple exercise, but it works. Like I said, they went from our rate down to almost zero in their firehouse. And then over there, they do it that if you actually don't perform this, you get basically two warnings and then you're fired. I mean, they take this super serious. But the personal decon is legit. You have an exposure where you are active on that exposure. When you come back, after you've done with your truck and put your stuff away, you go through your gear, you do what you gotta do, you now will go take a five to 10 minute uncomfortably warm shower. And everybody's like, well, what temperature is that? Guys, there isn't a temperature. We all know what it's like when you turn the water up so hot that you can just barely get underneath it. That's uncomfortably warm. And what happens is you allow the body to work for itself. You, you soak underneath this water and you begin to sweat and perspire. Your pores open. Those carcinogens that your body has actually ingested or I should say absorbed, they will be pushed back to the surface. We know that within 60 minutes, those carcinogens and toxins can be absorbed to a depth of about an inch and an inch and a half. And we know that the body can still expel them. So we have the whole magic hour for the stroke. Well, now we have a magic hour for the decon. And you will soak, you will begin to sweat, you will perspire, it'll push to the surface and you simply wash it away. The key to that is, is use cheap soap. Department's been buying us cheap soap for years. They didn't know they were doing us a favor. They just thought they were saving money. But it's actually the best soap you can use because it doesn't leave any residue. You don't want to use a soap with many lotions or moisturizers because it'll trap those toxins on the skin. So you use something that's very dry. And then you take a shower and you're done. But it works. It absolutely works. Some guys have said, well, what about the sauna? Sauna is a great thing. If you guys can afford to financially put saunas in all your firehouses, that's awesome. I think saunas can create some issues. We are firemen, we know how goofy we can be, and next thing you know, you got 10 guys in a sauna or five guys in a sauna, and it gets awkward. I prefer just a shower, so I'm good with that. I'm just saying, guys, this is firefighter friendly, but I know instantly there's like wheels turning already. We just can't have that. You see, the biggest issue in the fire service is this one right here. We are trained professionals to fight fire. We're trained at it, we're awesome. Most people think we're crazy, we have no problems doing it. But the fact of the matter is, firefighter is not firefighting is not dangerous for us. That's normal. The scary part is what's occurring after the fire is out, the unknown, what we can't feel, what we don't know, what we can't see. That's where the multiple exposures is occurring. When we're all done, we think we're in the safe zone. That's where we're doing the most damages, or the most damage to our body. Here are a list of the cancers that we know um, are having an effect on firefighters and at what rate. And when we start breaking this down, you know, we look at these guys, because these are real odds. Um, this isn't like something I'm telling you, a projection or a possibility or a maybe. No, these are the numbers that we know for a fact are having the effect. Guys are dying. And you'll see that testicular cancer is number one. I'll explain in the next slide why it's number one. But look at that, two times greater just for testicular cancer. And look at some of these other ones. Multiple myeloma, 53% higher. Non-Hodgkin's, 51% higher. Skin cancer, prostate cancer, melanoma, all right around that 30% higher mark. Brain cancer. Hey guys, the other thing about this is most of these don't come with a cure. Usually when you get this, I mean obviously testicular cancer, you can have some pretty good fortune with that as long as you catch it early. But most of these come with either a lifetime of a treatment plan or they just come with heartache. And you'll notice down there breast cancer, six times greater risk. Um, breast, this study for breast cancer in San Francisco was not done because they had a high rate of females getting breast cancer. It's actually the opposite. They had a high rate of male firemen getting breast cancer and that's what made them do this study. Men do get breast cancer. And usually when they get it, it's, um, it's definitely more complicated than a female. We are being affected at every angle from your brain to your bottom and all the wares in between. Some of us guys who've been on a while, we can start putting names to these things. 
guys that we've lost that we just said, man, that was bad luck, that stinks, he was a great guy. Now we're beginning to understand why we're attending so many funerals as a result of cancer. Guys, these are real odds, real odds. Here's why testicular cancer is number one. As you guys sit in this room, it's comfortable, air conditioning is going, your skin absorption rate and your groinal region is already 300% higher than anywhere else in your body. So now you add that 300% onto the 400% for every five degree of temperature change, that area and region of your body is absorbing everything at immense amounts of rate and speed. It's happening. Um, so that is why testicular cancer is number one. But when I start talking to you guys about helmet, how simple your helmet is, when I start preaching to you guys about the hood and how simple your hood is, when we do and we talk about your mask and how simple it would be to be wiping down your mask, look at your next three highest absorption areas, jaw angle, forehead, scalp. Those are your next three highest absorption areas. The, probably the simplest things in your arsenal to clean, and yet they're the last things that we clean. Guys, we'll wear a hood until it really chokes ourselves out. You'll put it on that morning, you're like, oh, man, how long has it been? How long has it been? It smells like just sweaty, old, you know what. And then we might replace it. One-time use, gentlemen, one-time use. Helmets, they're burned, they're charred, that's fine, I get it. Make sure you're cleaning out the inside. That skin contact is where it needs to be cleaned. Masks, it's suction cup to your face. I mean, need I say more? It's su suction cup to your face. We should be wiping those out and cleaning those after every exposure. Super, super simple. When I, was, uh, when I was putting this class together and I'm ciphering all this information, I'm meeting people from all over the country and they're sending me stuff uh, from where they are and numbers and studies. Um, a guy who now I would consider my friend, he sent me a study about firefighters and cancer. This is the picture that came with it. This is on the front of the page. And it just hit me. I mean, it just, it, all at once. It, I was able at this point in time to so compartmentalize everything in my life that when I was doing it, I didn't think about anything. And here I am at this desk and I'm printing off this paper and this is the picture that came with it. And I just stopped what I was doing. And I'm looking at this picture and I'm thinking to myself, it's my fault. It's my fault. No other way to explain it, it's my fault. How many times have I been on a scene where my officer's like, hey, Ryan, go do this. Hey, Ryan, go do that. You don't think about it. We don't think, we react. That is how we are trained. That is how we are bred up to this point. We are reactors. And I'm looking at this picture and I'm thinking of all the countless times that I've been fully prepared to do things the right way and yet I don't. Because I can tell you, if that's me right there, look at this guy, he's got his pack on, no mask, pulling some eaves, getting rid of it, he's right there in there, and he's not even remotely thinking that this situation is dangerous. He's not, because he's like, oh, this is no big deal, I've fought fire way worse than this. It's not about the fire. It has nothing to do with the fire. I would be the guy right here my mask is getting in the way between the ladder I'm trying to use as a post and lean. My axe, while I'm trying to clean this, I'm throwing it behind me. Get out of my way. I'm probably wishing I didn't have my bottle on. And as I stare at this, I think about everything that has resulted from this. Everything in my life that was good is now gone. It's gone. I can't change it. It is deep-seated in me with anger. I will never be a fireman again. My children may not have a dad tomorrow. I'm the guy that gets to sit there and think about who's going to walk my daughters down the aisle. Who's going to be there for my wife? Who's going to give advice to my sons when they do something stupid and I need to explain to them we've all been there before? Guys, that's reality. That's my reality. I wake up and I go to sleep thinking about that. Because of little things like cleaning my hood, cleaning my helmet, wiping off my mask, washing my gear, keeping my stuff on from beginning to end, taking care of the guy, cleaning the truck. And the fact is, as angry as I am, that's nothing compared to how my family feels. 
I remember my son now, he's 14, the middle one. He's about 10 years old, and he comes up to me and says, Daddy, he goes, what does terminal mean? How do you explain that? They already hear the word cancer, and they automatically assume it's over. And then you tell them, no, buddy, we're going to put up a big fight. Well, Daddy, then what's terminal mean? We're going to put up a big fight until it wins. Right? That's their world. That's their reality. They didn't ask me. They didn't beg me. I chose this. I chose everything that comes with it. And the fact of the matter is, guys, you guys are going to have a choice to make before you leave these doors. And the reality of this is, is for a little bit, some of you guys will make a change. My goal is, is that when the newness wears off, you'll commit to the lifestyle. Because this isn't something that needs to be temporary. When we start talking about how do we do it, we know all the information, we know how it's happening, we know where it began, we know now where we're going, how do we do it? This is how we do it. This is your 12 steps to a safer department. These, these steps work, they're functional, and they're not even far off from where you are now. We're talking about simple changes, huge impact. Number one, SCBAs are going to be worn from beginning to end, period. Period. I don't care what you're doing, you're wearing full gear SCBA. You don't like it, I get it. It's hard, I get it. Well, when you go home today, tell your family that they're not worth wearing all your gear the whole time you're on the fire ground. I'll trade you. It can be done. It can be done. Gross decon, after, uh, after you're done, when you go back, this is just a simple thing. We're going to take off our gear, we're going to brush it off, we're going to leave as much of the particulate at the scene before we throw it in the truck, and then we take it back to the firehouse. Let's minimize the spread. Very, very simple, 30 seconds. Number three, baby wipes or wet naps. These should be on every piece of apparatus that you guys function on, period. Okay? The Dermatological Association of America, they have sat down, we've discussed this. They say this is a life saving practice. When you're done, you've taken off of uh, your clothes, you've deconned them, you've shook everything out, you're going to break out these baby wipes and you're going to wipe off all exposed areas that are appropriate to wipe off at the scene of a fire. Yes, that is a disclaimer. All areas that are appropriate to be wiping off at the scene of a fire. And you're going to get this stuff off your skin as fast as you can. Because when you get back to the station, you're going to do what you got to do and then you're going to take that decon shower. But why not why not take that opportunity to get the stuff off your face and stop the absorption now? Off your arms, off your legs, up under your chest. We can do this. Number four, change of clothes. Guys, you'd be surprised. Some of these are in here because guys don't think ahead. Yes, if you're going to perform number five, you need number four. You cannot put on dirty clothes after a decon shower. You are then exposing yourself again. Always, always, always have a backup set of blues down to your underwear and socks with you. Most old heads in here, we know what a ditty bag is. I was taught that in early, early on. You have duplications of everything. New people, when you go out there, you take duplications with you because then when you perform that shower, you're going to put on clean clothes so you are now out of the exposure. Number six, we're going to take more action when it comes to cleaning our PPE. Guys, this is your responsibility, nobody else's. These are things that we can do. Very simple exercises, very quick. We're there for 24 hours. I'm asking you guys for maybe a total of 20 minutes. These are things we can do. Number seven, this is a big one. Um, and we're starting, I know this is really starting to gain some ground. We need to be careful how we travel with our gear. And think about it. You throw your gear in your back seat, well, that's the same back seat you haul around your family in. All right, these carcinogens and toxins can stay active in fibrous material for up to months. This is not something we want to be exposing our families to if we don't have to. All right, you can buy a um, food grade, airtight, watertight um, plastic bins. They're online, they're about 40 bucks. You can buy those. If you've got to travel with your gear, if you're part-time somewhere else or volunteer somewhere else or you teach somewhere else, that's how you want to travel with your gear. We want to minimize, once again, the exposure. This is not something we want to take home and potentially would have a uh, bad effect on our families. Number eight, that's that buddy clean. Make sure that we're deconning the fire apparatus after every incident, wiping stuff down. All right, guys, those disinfectant wipes from Walmart or Kroger, those are perfect. That's all it takes. Wiping off the hose, wiping off the regulators, wiping off the harnesses, wiping off the bottles, wiping off the jump seats. 
Very simple, very easy. Financially, it's not even that big of a deal. Uh, number nine has been a big push. I'm fairly certain you guys are already pushing this. The bunker gear. Guys, bunker gear stays in the bay. Those old days of jumping out of bed, right in your boots and going on the run, those days are over. Those days are over. There's no reason to sit there and expose yourself where you rest and recline and relax. Just not gonna happen. Number 10, number 10 goes with number seven. Uh, very few firehouses that I have been to have um, really nice you know, bunker gear rooms that have exhaust fans and you know, they're off just from the Bay Area and they're closed off, so they're, they're really nice. Some people have them, very few. So that same storage container that you can travel with, you can now store your gear in. And if you're off for two days, now you're guaranteeing that when you come back, your gear has not been sitting there soaking in a diesel exhaust soup. So you're not just gonna start your day by throwing on this gear that's been saturated and all that diesel exhaust fumes. Very simple, so you know, one expenditure, multiple reasons. Number 11 is important because of this. Over half the cancers in the state of Ohio in the fire service are skin-related cancers. There is no cure. And we do it, and once again, we do it to ourselves. We go to work, we get exposed. We leave work, we either pour concrete, mow grass, trim trees, build houses, work outside, play, play on our motorcycles, softball teams, whatever it is. Guys, that's who we are. That's what we do. We just are constantly punishing our skin. We're out doing hydrants, we're outside training when we're at work, we're taking runs obviously when we're at work. If you're at work, take the time. They even have the great stuff you spray it on, you don't even have to rub it in, no asking your buddy to get your back, none of that stuff. Spray it on, utilize it. Give your skin a break, because I'm telling you, we're putting it through the ringer. Number 12 is the tobacco use. I'm not the guy to preach tobacco use. Um, grew up on a farm, I've been chewing since I was 11. My doctor still knows that, and we came to a truce, just some fact is I had to give up everything. And I told her the one thing I'm taking with me in is my tobacco. So it's the only thing I have left. I, don't, I, I think I just hold on just for the sake of being stupid, just to say I, I didn't let him have everything. Um, but the fact is this, tobacco use is an issue in the fire service. Um, for multiple reasons, health reasons, the things that it can cause. But more importantly, uh, I told you guys I would touch base on Senate Bill 27 again. Every cancer presumption law that's out there has a tobacco clause, okay? Senate Bill 27 has a tobacco clause. And the way that clause reads is if you were to get cancer in the fire service that can be connected to tobacco use, you would then become ineligible to use Senate Bill 27, okay? Now, let me tell you this as a good lawyer would. We live in a state called dual causation. They can say that all they want. And the only reason I'm telling you this, guys, is because I've, I uh, am a firm believer in being completely honest. They can tell you that all they want. But if you were to get cancer and you are a tobacco user, you can still absolutely win your claim. Any good lawyer can beat that in a heartbeat, okay? And that's why we allowed them to put it in there. But for your family, for yourself, those of you who don't already have cancer, uh, you want to lighten your wallet, maybe put a few more bucks back in your wallet, just give it up. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And lastly, as I conclude, it's these ones right here. These are the things I like to make sure that you completely understand before I leave. It's not the fire we're worried about. The IARC is the International Agency of Research on Cancer. They tell us that there is a minimum of nine group one carcinogens in all fire smoke. A minimum. And I will tell you guys this. A standard car fire has 99 known carcinogens in it. So don't get narrow-minded and think just structure fires. We are discussing structure fires, car fires, dumpster fires. These are all just as dangerous. There is no such thing as a small exposure. But those are minimum, nine group one carcinogens in all fire smoke. Number two is my challenge for all you guys as officers. If you're an officer in this, in this room, the fact of the matter is this, I will put all the blame on any individual. I absolutely will. But I will also put all the pressure on an officer to hold each individual in here accountable to make that change. It's that simple. And it does start from the head. This goes from chief down. Because ultimately, you guys have to be provided the opportunity and the ability to perform these things to be able to leave and go home safely to your families. But at the end of the day, it's gonna be up to each individual in here to want to, and to make sure that they are doing those changes. And lastly, I want you guys to understand something about this cancer presumption law. 
Um, when I began the crusade for Senate Bill 27, uh, it was not, it was definitely not a me thing. It was not about me. It was not about you. Senate Bill 27 is not designed for firefighters. It's not. There's only one way that you get to file on Senate Bill 27, and that is if you get cancer. This class is for you guys. Senate Bill 27 is for all the families who are left behind. Death benefits, benefits for your children, benefits for your spouses. That's who Senate Bill 27 is for. There is very little to nothing that we can do for our firefighters who die from cancer from the fire service, literally nothing. And when I started, I wanted to make sure that we could have an effect for those who are left behind because it's not fair to them because ultimately they pay the biggest price. We may lose our lives, but they're the ones that got to live with it and they're the ones that got to struggle. That's who it's for. The class is for you guys. Senate Bill 27 is for them. So make the changes. Make the changes. Take it seriously. All right. I appreciate you guys having me in. Uh, it's been a good time. If you guys have any questions, concerns, you can email me. That's my office phone number. Get a hold of me. Uh, anything you need, I'm always here at your disposal. Thank you, Captain. Thank you, Captain. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You have been listening to one of a series of podcasts from the Columbus Dispatch in which firefighters and the people around them tell their own stories in their own words. You can find more podcasts along with stories, videos, and interactive graphics online at dispatch.com unmasked. This podcast was produced by Doral Chenoweth with the assistance of reporter Mike Wagner and web producer Patrick Flaherty. I'm Mike Meckler. The Columbus Dispatch is a gatehouse newspaper. For information on how to subscribe to our award-winning print and digital content, please visit dispatch.com.